Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about sufferable sacrifices and parasitic plants. Well, folks, here we are, one week closer to the end of the year. I wonder what horrors await us. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Matt Martinek and Charlotte O'Farrell are voice talents Elithia Fay and Olivia Steele. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale of the evening is written by Matt Martinek and is performed by Elithia Fay. In it... We'll meet a wife and mother who seems to be losing everyone and everything in her life, piece by piece, literally and figuratively. So without further ado, I present you Blood of My Blood. My husband Jack died in October of 1988, a hunting accident but rest assured there was nothing accidental about it. 
A simple stray bullet does not force a family to bury the dismantled pieces of their patriarch. There wasn't much left. Ravaged limbs, chunks of worn bone, a bag of Jack's hair. That is what we entered into on the ground, along with the secret of what he went through on that fateful morning. But Jack wasn't the only one who was victimized on that day. Our son Rod was with him and witnessed the entire event unfold. His father was torn apart right in front of his eyes, and there wasn't a damned thing he could do about it. Rod did not escape unharmed. He attempted to save his father and got off one single arrow which pierced the beast's side. In a terrifying rage, the creature set its savagery upon poor Rod and bit into his forearm, tearing through flesh and snapping bone with ease. With whatever strength Jack had left in his soon-expiring body, he jumped onto the back of the beast, taking its attention away from our frightened and bleeding son. The monster's jaws opened and found their place around Jack's throat. For a single moment, Jack locked eyes with Rod's and gave his son one last loving gesture, one last goodbye. It was over, and Rod knew it. The boy ran as fast as he could with his arm leaking all over the freshly fallen leaves and the screams of his father disappearing into the distance. Rod busted through the door of our home and shouted one single word, Werewolf. The funeral came and went, but we remained lost in the haze of what seemed to be a dream. I was now a single mother with a shattered 15-year-old to guide into adulthood. The bones of Rod's arm eventually healed, but when the cast was finally removed, we saw that the flesh itself did not mend as it should have. The sutures proved worthless. It was thought to be a bacterial infection that went out of control, though the doctor had not seen anything like it before. The wound had putrefied and seemed to pulsate with every beat of Rod's heart. And the smell? Unexplainable. I was instructed to keep the arm wrapped and to apply the certain medicinal ointment every evening, which I did. Still, it got no better. Just as Rod's wounded psyche didn't. He insisted on the otherworldly nature of the thing that took his father away and let me know on a daily basis that it was still out there, stalking, ready for another victim. Even beyond that, his nightmares terrorized him relentlessly. He could not escape the beast even through a good night's sleep. The adult in me took it all as the imagination of a panicked child. Even so, I still thought back to being 10 years old, up late on Saturday night watching Chiller Theater with my dad, clutching his hand tightly as I watched the wolfman spring from behind the trees. My heart raced at the thought of possibility becoming reality. We attempted to get on with our lives as best we could. I returned to work and Rod went back to school. He did best with the hand he was dealt, but he was quiet, always thinking, always off somewhere else. I spoke to him about counseling, but he simply wouldn't have it. He told me he was fine, that it would pass. I was so hoping it would. As we all know, the chains of the past tighten with time if you let them. I only wanted my son to be okay. He deserved a bit of normalcy, as did I. Unfortunately, better days were just not meant to be had. The first time that it happened was the most frightening thing I have ever gone through in the course of my life. I awoke at 1.05 a.m. on a Sunday morning to what seemed to be an explosion down the hall from my room. I sprang from my bed and jetted towards the door with the only thing on my mind being my son's safety. As soon as I reached the hallway, I immediately saw the wooden shards of Rod's bedroom door strewn about and heard the growl of the rabid creature that was after my son. My mind told me that it was all some sort of trick, 
that it just wasn't possible, but my eyes soon proved my mental faculties to be full of lies. The bastard of death emerged from the bathroom down the hall, and it was everything Rod had promised it would be and more. I did not view it in black and white, and there was no hand beside me to clutch. The monster movies of old paled in comparison to what was before me. The abomination's pointed ears nearly reached the ceiling of the hallway, and the large fangs were dripping saliva onto the brown, matted fur of its chest. Glowing red eyes stared at me as I froze in place, almost admiring the creature's ferocity. Surely it was wolf-like, but in a deformed way. The snout was much longer, the teeth much larger, and it walked towards me slowly with the gait of a human. And oh, how it growled, with its lips quivering at the thought of tasting me. A werewolf it was. My son was right. I broke from my trance and leapt back into the bedroom where I entered my closet and hid. The tears streamed down my face as images of Rod's destroyed body flashed through my mind. There was no way he was still alive. I could hear the beast getting closer, its feet pounding towards the closet, and I peeked through the wooden slats of the door to behold the monster's form illuminated from the moonlight shining into my window. It was at that moment when the truth hit me fully. On the werewolf's arm, the vestiges of a bandage. It was not after Rod at all. It was Rod. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The creature sniffed at the door of the closet and its claws scraped at the slats gently, but it did not enter. It turned away from my hiding place and bolted out the door, down the stairs, and smashed into the front entrance of our home. But I couldn't move from my hiding place. I shook and cried for hours, rocking back and forth in the dark until the closet door was finally opened. It was Rod. He was naked and filthy, but he was still my son. And I loved him. It was a full moon last night, Mom. I told you. We were in trouble. Rod remembered nothing about what happened that night except for the intense pain of the transformation. Our greatest fear was that he had hurt someone, so we intently focused on the newspapers and the local TV station for the next few days, hoping not to see anything out of the ordinary. Thankfully, nothing popped up. Rod's injury to his arm was now completely healed as well. It seemed that the transformation had taken care of it completely. But now that we knew what we were dealing with, it was crystal clear that we had about one month to prepare for the next full moon, and that's exactly what we did. There was no way I was giving up on my son, so the only option was to deal with the reality at hand. We had reinforced doors installed and I had also purchased some hospital-grade straps to affix to Rod's oak bed frame. 
we had figured that there would be no issues if he couldn't move at all. So on the afternoon of the next full moon, I strapped Rod's head, limbs, and torso down to the oak frame of the bed, kissed him on the forehead, and retreated to my room. I sat up in bed and prayed all evening long while trying to ignore the sounds from Rod's room. And for nothing, apparently. At 1.05 a.m., Rod broke through the leather straps and exploded through his reinforced bedroom door with a deafening sound that made the last time seem like a firecracker. I stayed in my room, deep in a stupor, with the door locked until early dawn when Rod arrived home. The very next day, young Mary Hogan from down the street was reported missing. Her remains were found the following week, 15 miles away from our home. The poor girl was torn to shreds. Rod and I forced ourselves to attend the funeral, as difficult as it was. He made eye contact with no one during the service. He just looked down at his black, polished shoes as his tears splashed upon them. I knew he felt like it was all his fault, although that couldn't have been further from the truth. The less he spoke, the more I worried. He retreated inwards, and it seemed there was nothing I could do to help him. I couldn't wrap my head around what was going on. Was it some sort of disease passed on as the attacks multiplied? Some sort of dark magic? And what if Rod got arrested over this murder somehow? I had no answers to give. Regardless of its origins, our issues would undoubtedly continue, so we formulated new safeguards for the next full moon. We replaced Rod's wooden bed frame with one of steel, the kind they use at psychiatric hospitals. I purchased new straps, the ones intended to restrain horses and cows and, who knows, maybe even werewolves? As we didn't want to take any chances whatsoever, we had steel factory doors installed, with the hinges drilled deep into the joists of the house. The company that installed them definitely had some questions as to their purpose, and it was hard to get around. I alerted them that my son had severe paranoia at night and the doors were a tool to give him peace of mind. It was the best I could think of at the time. We topped everything off with bars on the windows and we were ready for what was next. We hoped it would all be enough. The days passed quickly and before we knew it, another month was gone and the next full moon was upon us. We prepared much like the previous time, but we begged and prayed that this outcome would be much different. The restraints were in place, I kissed my son on the forehead, and I locked the steel door behind me. I passed the minutes and hours in my bed with the nervousness growing as the midnight hour came upon us. I heard the faint groans of my son as the transformation was undoubtedly beginning. More time passed, and the groans turned into severe cries of pain. Mom, help me. It hurts. I stuck my fingers into my ears to drown out the noise momentarily, but eventually I gave in to my motherly instinct. I got up from my mattress and made my way to Rod's doorway. He was screaming at this point. I unlocked the heavy door and what I saw will stay with me forever. The transformation looked about halfway through. The fur was sprouting, Rod's face was now badly deformed, and my son was struggling at the straps terribly as if his very life depended on it. I fell to my knees in anguish. I had to help my boy. I left Rod's room in a panic, but quickly returned in a few minutes. However, I was not alone. I had Jack's old rifle with me, the one he taught me how to use all those years ago for those just-in-case moments we sometimes find ourselves in. 
I inched my way to Rod's bedside, watching him struggle at the straps and listening to the leather stretch, strain, and crack at the quickly growing power of the wolf and changes at hand. I stared at his disfigured face and spotted a lone tear curled down his bulbous, hair-covered cheek. He spoke. Mommy, please, kill me. After a minute or so of contemplation, I slowly brought the barrel of the rifle up to Red's head, but snapped it back down quickly. How could I possibly kill my own son? I began to hyperventilate and sob uncontrollably until I heard Rod's cries dissipate. I looked over at his face, and for a moment, I saw not the monster, but instead my beautiful little boy. Mom, please. I don't want to kill anyone else. Do it. And so, being as brave as I could be for myself, my son, and anyone who might lose their lives to this creature, I pulled the trigger. Of course, the authorities did not find stories of werewolves very amusing or clever, and they saw my situation as a clear-cut case of child abuse, torture, and plain-out murder. Everything was there for them to use against me. The doors, the bed, the straps. It all painted quite the portrait. And now I'm here, locked in a cage. But I know the truth. And now, so do you. I hope you enjoyed Blood of My Blood, as written by Matt Modenek and voiced by Elithia Fay. Voice actress Elithia Fay joined our team a few months back. You can hear more of her performances right here on our very own network, as well as on future episodes of this show. Our second tale of the evening comes to us from author Charlotte O'Farrell and is performed by Elithia Fay and Olivia Steele. It's not abnormal for people to feel down around the holiday season. But in this tale, a woman named Sasha has a boss who takes seasonal affective disorder to a whole other level. Now, without further ado, I present to you Mistletoe Ho Ho. Did you know mistletoe is a parasite? Well, technically only a half-parasite. It can photosynthesize, too but it gets most of its resources from the trees it latches onto. It steals its nutrients so it can grow. Despite the pretty berries, it isn't really the jolly, innocent Christmas plant we make it out to be. Birds carry it around, and it lands on trees through their droppings. Then, it burrows into the tree branches and feeds off them. It's evergreen, so even when the tree is barren in winter, the mistletoe keeps spreading and thriving greener than ever. I learned this on my first day as an assistant gardener at the city park. In fact, it was the first thing my boss, Margaret, taught me. Mistletoe. Gotta watch out for that mistletoe, Sasha. She told me, tapping her fingers on the table for emphasis. Mistletoe's a cancer. Margaret was a kindly middle-aged woman and what my parents would have called a character. She had an odd turn of phrase, and though she knew her stuff about the park and plants, it was hard to converse with her about anything else. I liked her, sure, but as an 18-year-old and my first job out of school, she wasn't my first colleague of choice. Not that I would have told her that. 
One thing we did have in common was our love of the outdoors, and the city park was beautiful. I couldn't have asked for a better place to work. Acres of parkland, a range of perfectly looked after trees, and plenty of money to experiment with floral displays in the spring and summer. As I settled in, I felt more at ease speaking to Margaret about my life outside of work. We'd be pruning hedges or repotting plants, and I would be twittering away about my boyfriend, my next planned family holiday, or whatever else was on my mind that day. She never said anything about her own life, and when I spoke, she usually responded with, uh-huh, or some other slightly bored noise. But I kept confiding. It didn't seem right to me that we'd been working together for months and didn't know anything about each other. I'm introducing Tom to my family this Christmas, I told her once as we were weeding a flower bed. Oh, right. She said, not looking up from her weeding. I'm a bit nervous. I hope they like each other. Hmm. Um, do you have any plans this Christmas, Margaret? Silence. For a moment, I thought she was going to ignore me. I'd broken the unwritten rule. No. She muttered finally. We pulled weeds quietly beside each other for a few moments. I tugged up a huge one. Look at the roots on that! I exclaimed. She laughed. Wow, nice one, Sasha. It's really important to get those deep-rooted ones. And the equilibrium, at least for that day, was restored. A couple of days later, she first mentioned the mistletoe infestation. The bus was late, so I reached the park a bit later than usual. Margaret greeted me at the entrance, looking concerned. Mistletoe. We've got mistletoe, she told me. Bloody, monstrous, cuckoo-like planet is. Sucks all the life out of perfectly good trees. Oh no, I said. Where is it? I've got it down, got rid of it. But it'll be back. We need to watch these trees like hawks, Sasha. Hawks. Within a week, we had three more outbreaks of the demon parasite, as Margaret colorfully christened it. Margaret's demeanor started to get noticeably less friendly. I'd hear her mumbling to herself as she worked. She started making more mistakes. Nothing huge, but stuff she shouldn't have missed as an experienced gardener. But what struck me as odd was that I was never there when she caught it. She always moaned about finding it just after I'd return from my lunch break, or when she was working extra hours either in the morning or at night, which wasn't a rare occurrence. I should have left it well alone, but the more it happened, the weirder it seemed, and my curiosity grew. I just ripped down another clump of mistletoe, she exclaimed once when I walked into the park at 7am one frosty December morning. Horrible stuff. Pointless stuff. Did you throw it away? I asked, trying to keep my voice light. Yes. Which bin did you put it in? It's just that I'd like to keep some, you know, for Christmas decorations. It may as well be of some use, right? And since coming around for Christmas this year, it will have its uses hanging above the door. Margaret instantly retreated into her shell. She shook her head. You don't want to be going through the bins for mistletoe. They sell it at the market for a few pennies if that's your sort of thing. She didn't mention mistletoe again that day, but she didn't speak much at all. I worried I'd upset or embarrassed her. Maybe she was making up the mistletoe, but she just wanted to teach me how dangerous it was. Or to make it sound like there was more going on in the park when I wasn't there than there really was. Or... 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 
none of it made sense. I felt pretty guilty all day, silently working with her, wishing I hadn't said anything. The next morning, Margaret didn't appear at work. It was the first day off sick she'd taken all year, against my nine sick days, some of which may have been due to hangovers, but hey, I was 18. She didn't ring me on my mobile, but left a voicemail on the landline in our small shed-like office. I checked the time. She'd called in before I was due at work anyway. Her voice sounded distant, certainly ill, though she didn't give any indication of what was wrong with her. I hoped it was nothing serious. She turned up the next morning. I was shocked to see the state of her. She was never the most glamour-conscious person. Being an outdoorsy sort like myself, it wasn't the top of the agenda. But this was something else entirely. Thick black bags framed her eyes. She didn't look like she'd slept at all. Her hair hadn't been washed or brushed, and her face was flushed. Hey, Margaret. Are you sure you're okay to work? Yes. Yes, she said, flapping her hand as if to dismiss my concerns. I think it's safe to leave the house now. But to warn you, it's spreading. I looked back at her, bewildered. You mean your illness is catching? I'll stay well back. No, the mistletoe. She leaned in close to me and whispered the rest conspiratorially. It spread to my house. Margaret wasn't the joking kind. I checked her face for signs she was winding me up. Nothing. Well, that sounds... bad, I replied, struggling over each word. But Margaret, usually mistletoe only grows on trees. No, no, it's spreading everywhere. I found some in my shower, then hanging over my bed. It was trying to grow over me while I was asleep and smother me. Okay, now I was really worried. Are you sure you're okay, Margaret? You might have a bit of a fever. Maybe a doctor could help? Doctors know nothing about gardening. Not until they retire, anyway. But I've hacked it all back at home with a big knife. It's gone. For now. But that bastard weed always grows back, nasty little parasite. She turned on her heel and walked to the equipment shed, ready to start the day. I was left staring at her in disbelief. I should have done more. I should have broached the subject again. But I was quite relieved when she turned her attention back to her comfort zone, the gardening, and she seemed normal and cheerful enough as she worked. By lunchtime, I had rationalized it to myself that maybe her sickness had given her weird nightmares or minor hallucinations and she hadn't sufficiently recovered yet to see them for what they were. We'd probably laugh about her delusions of magical killer mistletoe when she was better. Besides, the park closed to the public for a few days that afternoon to give us staff a Christmas break, so it's safe to say my mind was a little bit elsewhere as we completed the last few wintry tasks our roles demanded. At the end of the day, she thanked me for my hard work over the past few months, and we wished each other a Merry Christmas. She seemed better, or at least I told myself she did. There had been no mention of the dreaded M-word since that strange encounter in the morning. The next time I heard from Margaret, it was on the special day itself. I was just settling down to Christmas dinner with my family. Tom had settled in well, and I felt content and full of the season's joy until I read her text. Sasha, the mistletoe's back. Worse than ever. I read the words over and over. Finally, feeling completely unsure of how to handle this, I sent her back, Merry Christmas, Margaret, 
I hope you're enjoying the day. X. Maybe playing along with her delusions would just encourage them? A couple of hours passed. We were playing charades and getting increasingly sloshed. I'm surprised I heard my phone vibrate over the noise. My heart sank when I saw it was from Margaret. It's going to get me. I can't fight it. Thank you for being a friend this past year, Sasha. X. Even in my inebriated state, I knew that wasn't a good sign. I filled in my family and Tom. I told them I was calling the police and would go around to Margaret's place. They wanted to come with me, but I hoped this would be a quick visit to check she was okay. Maybe to get her to the hospital if that's what she needed. Margaret's house was cozy, almost cottage-like, just outside the city center. She only lived a few blocks away, and I jogged there. I waited outside in the cold for the officers to arrive. The police officers came before long, two ladies who looked like they'd had a long night dealing with drunks. I hung back a bit as they inspected the house. Perhaps a simple welfare check made a nice change. They looked into the windows and tried to peer through the letterbox. Can you hear that groaning? One said to the other. The second officer nodded. That was all they needed. There was now enough confirmed concern to break in. They kicked the door down and ran in, shouting Margaret's name. I followed along behind. The first thing I noticed were the beige walls. At some point, there had been attempts to decorate them for Christmas, but they had all been slashed to ribbons. There were long, deep gouge marks in the plaster. Somebody had been hacking at them. The floor was covered in cut-up snippets of tinsel. As we moved further in, I saw the staircase. The banister had been slashed repeatedly. I heard the moaning, then a low, pained sound. Margaret, we hear you. Where are you? But as soon as I shouted it, I saw her. The three of us crowded around Margaret. She was slumped on the ground in the doorway of her lounge. Her face was covered in blood. She held something hairy and pulpy in her hand, also caked in blood. Her eyes were struggling to focus. When they saw me, they fixed on my face, and she smiled. I, I got it, Sasha, she said between bloody coughs. <laughs> I got the damned mistletoe. It would kill me, but I, I stopped it from spreading. She held the crimson, dripping mess in her hand up toward me, and that's when my brain put the puzzle of the whole horrific scene together. The reason her head was covered in blood was that she'd hacked off her own scalp. From the looks of the jagged cuts on her forehead, it seemed to have taken several excruciating attempts. Her side discarded the knife, clumps of skin and hair still stuck to its blade. I got it, Sasha. <laughs> I, I got it. She shouted and fell down on her back, her body shaking from delirious giggles. I hope you enjoyed Mistletoe Ho-Ho, as written by Charlotte O'Farrell and performed by Alithia Fay and Olivia Steele. Charlotte O'Farrell is a horror writer, a lifelong fan of the genre, 
She writes about all manner of the weird and wonderful. Her stories have appeared in anthologies and podcasts. She writes daily flash fiction on Twitter at CHA O'Farrell and Facebook at Author Charlotte O'Farrell. She lives in the East Midlands of England with her husband, daughter, and cat. You can hear more from voice actress Olivia Steele right here on our podcast network and YouTube episodes, as well as on her own YouTube channel called Scarily Olivia. As for me, I'll be right here next week. Now, our weekly Descent into the Depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back over a decade to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host of the evening, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams dreams. <laughs>Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.